Hello and welcome to Being Crisis Prepared, the organisational resilience podcast from Ibroy Crisis Management. Today I'm joined by two uh, people that we've worked with in the past, uh, Dick Hewitt and Rob Wally. I'll let them introduce themselves uh, in a second, but I'm really grateful for them taking the time to, to join us today because there is so much going on in an organisational resilience um, sense at the moment with COVID. Uh, what next? Build back better. Um, you know, the whole leadership piece. There are so many things to discuss. What we aren't going to do today is go into any political um, discussion about the rights and the wrongs, but just make observations of what do we learn and how can we take those learnings and employ those better in our own lives and our own organizations, because that's what the game is all about, is to learn from what we do so that we're better should it ever occur again. But uh, by way of, of introduction, let me first um, ask Dick to, to introduce himself. Hi, Matt. Thank you. Um, Dick Hewitt here. Uh, I'm the founder and co-director of um, a small consultancy called Thrive. And really what we do is go into organizations and help them reconfigure their business model. Um, before I did this, uh, I was 20 years in the military, culminating in command of a high readiness airborne unit. Uh, and then went on to do five years in local government, which mainly involved being director of transformation for a large local authority in the south of England. Okay, so a diverse experience, uh, background of, of having done it, and well as having spent many years um, coaching and supporting organisations to, to look at their processes and their, their structures. Great. Um, Rob, can you, can you introduce yourself to the, to the listeners, please? Thank you, Matthew. Um, Rob Wally, founder of uh, Controlled Events. We are a consultancy specialising in resilience, uh, readiness, control and communications. Um, and with COVID-19, uh, a fair bit of our, our work on the event side has, has uh, gone for the short term. So we're facing our own resilience challenges, which uh, we're talking about a bit today. Um, and on the resilience side, we support a range of uh, public and private sector um, clients spanning construction, uh, major events, transport, uh, housing, local authorities uh, in preparing their resilience plans or reviewing them at the moment um, and uh, preparing for a recovery as well. Okay, thanks. Thanks, Rob, and, and thanks, Dick. And, and obviously, the, the, the benefit of Inveroy to all of this, you, you may listen to it and go, well, hang on a second, they're, they're competitors. Not a bit of it. Uh, we are better by collaborating with the areas of specialisms that we know and we trust and, and finding those key partners to be able to, to deliver excellence. And uh, you know, therefore, I'm delighted that, that two founders of successful businesses are able to join us today uh, to have a discussion. Um, by way of, of explanation of the next 20 minutes or perhaps uh, a little bit longer, we're going to look at three topics, um, one for each of us, and then uh, have a discussion around that for a few minutes and air some thoughts and observations. Uh, and the, the first one, uh, I'll take the, the opportunity to introduce, is this whole issue at the moment in the UK of uh, the, the Dominic Cummings affair and, and what do we learn from that. And clearly, it is a crisis communications angle that I'm coming from. What is right and what is wrong uh, about the, the law, et cetera, I'm not interested in. Uh, what I am interested in is what do we learn from that? If it was our business that that type of incident had happened and one of our uh, colleagues had been in a situation where they were involved in a, in a media storm or something had happened that was damaging the reputation of the business, do you, 
get on the front foot as quickly as you can and try and take ownership of the story. Um, how do you do that, etc.? And and I think from my perspective, you are never in a good position if you try to uh, hide the story. Once it's out with social media, it is out. Get on the front foot. Tell people what you know. Um, establish what you don't know, what you're going to do about it, and try and create the story in the best possible uh, light for your business and what you want to achieve. But always, always, always tell the truth because you'll get caught out sooner or later. And, and I don't know whether you know, perhaps, Rob, uh, you, you've heard similar examples of, of good case studies or bad case studies or, or uh, any thoughts on sort of crisis communications. <coughs> Yeah, well, I think the uh, looking at case studies out there, and I was doing a bit of research recently, and you, you, over various disasters, you hear more about the businesses that or that have got it wrong than you hear about the ones that have got it right. So, and I think the in the current climate, where everyone's quite emotive and and personally affected by the incident, um, integrity is is absolutely king. And and I remember my crisis comms sort of awareness training after. Uh, being thrust in the limelight of Sky News interview um, after a severe weather tornado in my borough. It's 2006. And after a pretty poor interview, I was given some crisis comms training afterwards. And uh, so it could never happen again. And they talked about kind of relevant and timely updates, having trust and authority. And if you look at the government updates at the moment, um, I don't know about some of your listeners, but I'm, I'm now leaning more towards the digest of what the government are saying not listening to it live because I don't feel like I'm getting the the answers that I'm looking for personally from the updates we're given and and I feel like we've been given a story rather than the actual facts so without making any political comment I think for any organization uh, that integrity is really key and it's amplified during a disruption especially when that incident is personal with people <coughs> affected by the cyber attack and your EasyJet, for example, um, and their messaging, which has been pretty poorly handled, I would say, in terms of um, the incident may or may not have happened quite a while before they announced it. They were already affected as an organisation, as, as the aviation sector, but really they haven't gone out and communicated well to their stakeholders. So I think that integrity and, and reading the mood of where you're at as an organisation and where your stakeholders are at um, is really important and, and never more so than during COVID-19 at the moment. Yeah, I think that, you know, you, your use of integrity is you know, a really important word there. Um, Dick, have you come across any uh, examples or got any thoughts on, on where we are at the moment? Um, I've got I've got thoughts. Um, uh, I agree with what we're we're heading towards here when, in, when we're talking about this with regard to truth and integrity. Um, and I don't want it to sound motherhood and apple pie, but there's a there's a phrase out there that's about controlling the narrative, and um, I think what we've seen is a, a rather clumsy attempt to control a narrative that was not uh, didn't hold much integrity in the first place. In our experience working with organisations, it's quite interesting. Um, when we when we first get on, you know, get a project team on board, we call we call it the onboarding process. We are conscious of controlling the narrative in the way that we would understand it, and that would mean putting the truth out there. Here's what here's what we're trying to do. Here's the group that we're forming and the intent behind forming that group and the intent of our actions as we go forward. And it's interesting if you if you're if you're pursuing that narrative and just trying to make sure that the, the right information is going out there, all sorts of people will take 
different meanings from that information. So it's quite interesting to watch how, how differently people react to information. We've had experiences in the past where we've been six months plus into a project and we've suddenly discovered there's a project board that's been established some, somewhere else that's looking at what we're doing and we weren't aware of it. So it's always interesting to, 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 to follow up on the information that you're putting out there and how people are receiving it and acting upon it because it might not be the way that you've designed the information to, uh, to impact on people. Uh, and I think the uh, the observation, we ran an exercise yesterday for a client and because everyone's working from home, it was all done through video conference, instant messaging, um, texts, emails, the lot and the ability to communicate. And just because I've said it doesn't mean to say that the other person has heard it in the same way. And, and you're right that you know, there are so many different platforms at the moment of communications. How do you ensure that your target audience your stakeholders actually respond in the way that you're doing it because you can't make a personal call to all of them. Um, you know, depending on which bit of Twitter or you know, the news you read depends on how that, that affects your judgment. So it's, uh, it is an incredibly difficult subject and certainly not one that we're going to do justice to in 10 minutes. But um, I think for anyone that's listening is just, you know, perhaps as both uh, you know, Rob and, and Dick have said there is, just to reflect on who is the target audience what method are you going to use to reach that target audience who delivers it how often all those basic things that if you google stakeholder management plan you'll come up with a a table that gives you that type of um those headings it's it's really easy it's free it's online um and therefore there should be no excuse for for any business not to have some form of crisis comms plan, stakeholder engagement plan, whatever you wish to call it. How you use it is is perhaps where the, the, the skill and experience comes in. But but thinking about it sometimes is half the battle. Um, yeah, interesting conversation. And I'm sure uh, you know, Rob mentioned there, EasyJet, there will be many, many other examples um, that people can look at uh, of good practice. Some of it, um, you know, the response to, I think it was TUI, uh, managing director response to the the terrorist attack on the beaches in I'm going to say Tunisia a couple of years ago and he flew out and he met the people and escorted them back and so on to make sure that his key stakeholder group was his customers and therefore did the right thing and was seen to do the right thing and and worked really well. Thomas Cook um, had an incident where a child was sadly died in one of their properties I think it was in Greece um, and you know they refused to take ownership and responsibility for it well guess what they've since gone bust well i'm not saying that that child was directly responsible but it's just an indicator of if you can't stand up and take ownership you're on a what the scots would call a sugarly peg um your sticky wicket whatever phrase you want to use uh it undermines the ethos and culture of the company in my opinion um anyway that's enough of, of my my topic for the day um can I ask you about uh, something that's caught your eye uh, over the last couple of weeks? Um, yeah, I think um, there's a, there, I'm always interested in hearing the buzz phrases that, that emerge during um, periods. And um, let's face it, there has been no greater strategic shock to the planet than, than the one we're going through now in terms of um, the pandemic and, and the response it's being um, that we're still in the midst of, um, and I'm, I'm hearing a couple of buzz phrases that are coming up already that are related to you know where do where do we 
emerge from this in terms of coming out of the lockdowns, um, starting to get lives back and economies back on track. So there's a couple of the couple of phrases that I'm hearing. One of them is build back better. Another is the ability to bounce beyond the recovery and 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 really you know supercharge your your recovery period. But I'm interested in what we understand these phrases to mean. Um, from a Thrive perspective, when we go into an organisation, we think about a number of things and how they're all working together um, and how they're interrelating to each other. We think about workflows, we think about patterns, we think about processes and we think about people. And if I, if I think about those four kind of elements, um, already as a result of what's happened during lockdown, there has been a whole system change, but it might be barely perceptible to the people who are in the middle of it or, or almost unnoticed. Um, because lockdown has shifted behaviours dramatically. Um, lockdown has shifted the way that we are um, trying to get our businesses back on track. They have certainly shifted how we're doing business. Um, and that, you know, we've all got personal first-hand experience of that. And new workflows, patterns and processes are, and, and relationships between people are emerging. So I wonder if, if, we are, if, if people in organisations are stepping back to think about the whole picture and the whole system change that's going on. In terms of workflows, I'm talking about how tasks and activities are flowing between people. You know, how differently are we organising ourselves at the minute? That's certainly happening because most of what we're doing is happening online. I realise there's some there's some recovery of uh, old practices, let's call them, happening now. But it, it, it'll take a long time before it gets to what we were used to in the past. So we're going to have to organise ourselves differently going into the future. And what's that doing? To go ahead, Matt. Sorry, I was just wondering: um, is this sort of part of the idea of of you know, we often talk about? Um, lessons identified sometimes used as lessons learned and and all too often we have an incident and then we we sort of you know, dust ourselves down and then we we go great and you never have time to actually embed the the teaching that the incident has has provided so that you you close out that that risk for the next time round uh, and it, it, we sort of looking here at how do we actually take the lessons and and make sure that everything our processes, our ways of working are aligned to the new thinking? And is that what we're, we're looking at here under um, Build Back Better? That's, that's definitely part of it. But okay. if, I remember, if I remember my experiences when we were trying to identify lessons, uh, especially from my military experience, I was usually involved in the middle of something very fast-moving and quite confusing. After that happened, when you had the ability to step back, as I said, yep and look at the whole picture, you were able to see why you made certain decisions at certain times, but it might not have been the way you'd have made it if you'd been able to see the whole picture. So my my sentiment here is about being able to to, to realise that the whole picture is changing and, and not respond to the signals that are immediately around you, because there's deeper stuff going on here. I mentioned workflows and I mentioned processes. They're certainly changing. But the patterns behind them are also changing. So the normal, well, not normal, but the, the power dynamics that we had been used to in, in the past are changing as well. So 
that's going to that th those are the bigger picture ticket th those are the bigger picture items that I'm referring to here and that's going to change the relationships between people and we like to think of organizations as nothing more than a network of relationships between people yes you can put bricks and mortar around it yes you can put nice cars in it if you want there's all sorts of things that you can hang on an organization and many chief executives will show you a, an organizational diagram and say that's my organization well for us it's not the organization is the, the pattern of relationships between the people in that organization and the power dynamics that sit behind it so those are the bigger picture items that I'm thinking of and how they have been shifted by the recent uh, the recent turbulence okay no thanks for that um Rob yeah any thoughts yeah, I think the, the lessons identified um, piece is a, a really important one. And traditionally, organisations are very much of let's have a set piece um, lessons identified process or debrief meeting at the end of the incident. And what I'm finding is it's for some organisations, they're very ready culturally to debrief now what worked well, what didn't. Um, let's not plan and almost base our resilience assessment on how well or badly the last couple of months have gone actually what we've got to do is look forward to what are the challenges that could come up with the the consequences of COVID-19 in the background. And and I certainly think people, um, a number of clients I've spoken to have said, well, let's debrief at the end of this. Well, when is the end of this? And actually, can we afford to wait till uh, a number of months and months on from now to do that debrief? Or for some, actually, are we, are we missing a trick with some of the immediate lessons, which could prevent any future consequences of COVID or other incidents during the COVID environment um, causing more of an impact. Yeah. Uh, Sorry, I, go ahead, Dick. Yeah. Yeah. I, think I mean, what you're saying. Yeah. I think there was always a great expression that I've carried forward from my past experiences into the work I do now, and it's the it's the expression called ground truth. It's what actually happens to make events unfold the way they unfold, and. When I refer to the organization being a network of relationships between people, that's what determines how things really get done. And I think there are big implications for the for, for areas like resilience in this, in that how things are actually getting done is different now. How people are working together in a constant process of negotiation and renegotiation around tasks and activities, workflows and processes, that has changed and, the, you know, that many organizations have very specific instructions and checklists on how things should happen, but how they really happen is between the people that do them. And I'm, I'm seeing the ground being shifted beneath people in how they get things done. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a dramatic thing or a bad thing. There are many, many opportunities to be taken here. There are many opportunities to look at the way we're, our workflows, our patterns, our processes, and our people are behaving in organizations and say, actually, that's a much better way of doing this, and we are we are having a much better impact on what we want to what, to, what we want to achieve. So my interest in the, in the COVID response piece is how do we lift the stuff that's good and shift it out the other end? And that's what I understand to be build back better or bounce beyond. Let, yeah. Let's break the connection with crisis response and just say, hey, we've got different working here. We've got a new pattern. Let's lift it and get it out there and, 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 and start doing it, you know, as not, not part of a response, but part of our way of working. Yeah, and get the whole organization following that new way of working, as opposed to half of them on the new way and they've embraced it and are, are, are doing it every day, and the other half still 
you know, that sort of elastic band on them being pulled back to the old way because, well, I quite like that. I like you know, three-hour meetings sat around a board table as opposed to a, a, a Zoom. You know, either is equally okay. It just needs to be consistent. Yeah. Um, interesting thoughts, Dick. Have you got anything there just to, to, to finish off with on that, that topic? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I think... I think you raised the little shadow at the end there of snapback and in in terms of systems change and the work that we do, snapback will always be in the room. It'll be right behind you and a lot of people will want to go back to an old way of doing something just because they felt more comfortable doing it that way. Uh, and it might not be the it might not be the best way. So yes, there is a tension to be held when you're doing this work. Um but I enjoy holding that tension or I wouldn't do it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I think uh, all of us it will recognize that the member of our team that has become an expert at doing a something in a certain way and when you now say well actually i don't want you to do it that way anymore we're now going to do it slightly differently you know the danger of feeling um underappreciated or or uh, no longer quite so important in the team is, is that whole human dynamic and uh you know that that doing it in the right way so that you take people with you as opposed to you know sorry everyone i'm in charge doing it my way now yeah that's not how we all work and uh if you want to take people on that journey not not leave them at the uh, the train station god what a terrible analogy um my apologies but dick thank you for for your your, your observations there on um two good phrases build back better and bounce beyond um which from a resilience point of view is is exactly what we should be looking at and how do we get our companies to another um, phrase that I found the other day, um, survive and thrive, uh, obviously links in very well with, with your company Dick, called Thrive. That's what it's about. It's not just about survive. It's how do we do things better so that we, we are stronger and our businesses are, are better in the future um, and better. I appreciate for some of us is, is you know, pound shillings and pence. Others is quality of life. Others is community based. Um, but the bottom line, whatever it is that we do as our output, our product, our service, our capability, if we can do it better, why on earth wouldn't we? Um, so, so thanks for those observations. Really useful. Um, Rob, I uh, appreciate we had a quick conversation before coming on, on the call and you, you were looking at the idea of what else? Um, did you have uh, a few few thoughts that you wish to share with the listeners? Certainly. So I think coming into uh, COVID-19 and, and I take the kind of personal experience of, of me as a business owner um, we sort of knew it was a horizon scan issue but that was tracked back to kind of what end of end of last year early January it was there on the horizon um, COVID-19 was going to mean something to us and obviously it was a top top four risk that a flu pandemic was, was going to affect the UK been on the national risk register for a number of years and as a business I was kind of one, looking at, well, how do we support the people close to us, but also how do we prepare ourselves? And and actually, you sort of find yourself wanting when you look back and go, everything we preach about kind of horizon scanning and forward planning and worst case scenarios, the events were unfolding pretty quickly. And there's a lot of noise of, of all of the different information sources and differing views about what might impact us. And, and actually, from a personal point of view, the concurrency that our clients must face when they have a disruption of market change, financial impact extremely quickly, um, HR challenges. These are things that you try and exercise and you try and implement measures in a plan that help. But actually, you have to call on your own training and your own sort of experience when a disruption hits and, you, and navigate your way through it. And 
before this call, looking at some of the incidents that have happened in the last few weeks in, in areas where our clients work, um, large warehouse fire in uh, Barking in London, chemical accident in Italy, flash flooding in another part of Italy, earthquakes in several places around the world, um, cyber attacks. We mentioned EasyJet, but also uh, universities associated with COVID-19 research. Um, all of these concurrent risks are happening and, and the, the malicious threats of terrorism and other themes haven't gone away either. You think of our socially distanced queues that are going around the block when the shops reopen soon. That's a crowded place. Um, we're going to have people back out there um, and some of the risks that we may not have had front and centre are going to reemerge. So I think more than ever, the kind of concurrency of, of different risks affecting us and the compound nature of them all affecting us on top of the background of, I don't know about you, but pretty exhausted by COVID-19 so far. And I haven't been personally affected by it. But as a business, this has been a challenging time. We're all under a, 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 a level of stress and pressure before something else happens. And I think that will really test the plans we have, but also our networks. And going back to what Dick said about your organisational structure, it will really test the DNA of an organisation as to will the culture, will the values, will the approach that staff and managers take sustain them through the next disruptions that hit while they're still recovering from, from COVID? Uh, I think there, there's so many different issues in that, that you know, couple of minutes from you there, Rob, that uh, you know, it's a brilliant introduction to uh, you know, proper resilience and you know, is, it, is it culture and ethos and how do you create that um, ability to, to take another hit uh, and at what point is it the, the straw that breaks the camel's back? Um, and it, it can be something quite minor, but when you're, you're at rock bottom in your resilience already because it's been chipped away at, um, you know, it only takes you know, perhaps something that uh, you have no control over, you know, um, you know, something that impacts on your share price or something that, that changes the uh, exchange rate that you use and suddenly... Your your products aren't selling for what they were entirely out of your control, but it hits you as a business. And um, uh, I think quite often we look at one emergency may not be catastrophic. Two, three emergencies at the same time is the bit that you go, hang on a second, I, I'm on my knees here. Don't don't hit me again. Um, you know, there's there's so many analogies there, isn't there? That uh, you know the Swiss cheese model from a, a health and safety perspective type idea. Um, and I think I, I read you talking about um, cyber attacks and incidents that part of the national grid um, or a sub company was experienced a, a cyber attack last week. Um, you know, and it is that blimey, you know, when we're we're scraping the bottom already on um, you know, how do we keep things going? It won't take much. Um, but I was, I was also, Rob, I don't know whether you have any thoughts on part of business continuity. They look at disruption or loss of people loss of premises or facilities, loss of supply chain. And in the past, we've quite often talked about loss of technology, but I think the proper heading is loss of resource. And something that I have shied away from is cash. You know, very seldom do we talk to a company about, you know, what's your cash reserves like if you cease trading or, or bad debtors for, for a period, how long could you continue trading with your current bank account? And I think the whole sort of furlough scheme has introduced that idea of um, you know, even with furlough, you know, 8.4, I think it is currently million people in the UK salary is largely or in full paid by the government. 
and yet still companies are going into administration because of all the other costs, etc. So you know, presumably their bank balance was almost nil. Well, all the banks had to have to demonstrate resilience to the Bank of England on the back of the 2008 crash. So, you know, again, as you know, jumping into Dick's piece of um, build back better, is that something that if I'm getting a service from a, a supplier, I don't necessarily ask them for their bank account, but it's that sort of you know, reassure me, are you resilient means, you know, is your bank balance going to be able to keep you going for three months if you have a bad debt? So it's there's so much there about um, you know, what next and how resilient are we on the back of, of this? Um, Dick, did you have any any thoughts there? Um, yeah, as, as Rob was um, talking about the horizon scanning piece, um, and, uh, another one of the buzz phrases appeared in my mind as, you know, lots of people will be describing what they're facing as their perfect storm. Um, and I think that that speaks to Rob's um, concurrency um, of of, of challenges. Um, but I, yeah, I, I totally agree with that, but I'd also go into the area of complexity because what's happening to people in organizations in any form of, of organization or partnership facing the challenges that we've got with the, um, the pandemic, it's become complex where it was maybe just complicated for them because things are breaking down organizational cultures are breaking down and shifting um, and the way that we the way that we try and mend organizations or or reconfigure them um, will will be complex and how do we navigate that how do we start to cut through that complexity um, I know that one of the one of the approaches that we would take um, would be one of componency so what, what's happening in the physical environment to people what's happening in the, the moral and ethical environment for them um, and crucially, what's happening in the cultural component? So it, it's the stuff that's not written down in organisations. It's the stuff that you hear in conversations uh, beside the water cooler, which is the classic description of it. All of these things are going to be affected. And when you put them back together again, you're going to get unintended consequences and therefore defining the complexity that, that we're facing. So I think, again, it's a question of how do organizations and people find the time and the space to step back from what's happening and be able to really think about the entire the, the entire raft of effects that they're that they're going to go through yeah um yeah rob um what, what do you think well my, my military experience extended to the uh, combined cadet force at, at berkhamsted for several years when i was younger so i won't misuse a phrase you guys would would know better but Fight and last war, I think, is um, a phrase which I'm uh, certainly a number of clients now are sort of, on the one hand, really keen to develop their resilience because they get it. This was a near miss for them. This all has ca caused them to go to the brink. For others, there's almost this false sense of, well, we all work from home. Um, our IT didn't go down. We don't need an office so much. So actually, office arrangements, work area recovery, all these things are now sort of up for grabs. Uh, and actually, uh, I think there could be sort of almost this Marmite approach. So some people are going to love resilience and want to invest time and effort in it. And others are, maybe just haven't, the, the penny hasn't dropped until maybe, I don't know, they've got a major AGM, shareholders are on the line for it, and your home Wi-Fi goes down and, and your senior person can't be on that call. Now, that's a small example, but actually you, the resilience at the, the sort of the personal level within your organisation, if we're going to work in this dispersed way, 
does become quite important. So I think the kind of concurrency of other risks happening um, is something that I think is a really key one for clients now because there's a real risk that we we look backwards at, and judge our resilience based on that the risk we're experiencing now rather than thinking actually what next. Yeah, and and you you can see that um, in the past for the last four or five years probably cyber has been the the the, the hot topic in resilience and are we are we able to withstand a cyber attack? And very little was done on any other type of, of incident. Um, you know, so uh, you know, the people issues, et cetera, were, were overlooked. Um, but your, your point about technology, uh, I think it was, again, last week, one of the government briefings was delayed um, because of Zoom going down. Well, right, that's interesting. But if the government has that problem with all the resources that they've got to their, their fingertips, what are we going to do as, as small businesses, as, as you say, when it's that AGM or that, that critical moment that you're about to do your presentation that you've spent weeks preparing, you know, your pitch for investment, whatever it might be, and the technology goes down. Um, you, know, you only get one chance to make a first impression. So, uh, yeah, yeah, valid points. Yeah. yeah sorry, Rob, go on. Yeah. And, and I think there's a, a very different nature to the, the, the environment we're in at the moment where we're all in it together. We're, we'll, we're forgiving to an extent. Um, news on the, the current government situation maybe aside, um, because we're all in it together. We're all getting affected to some extent by the, the consequences of COVID. So there's that forgiving nature of it. Whereas I think if it was an incident affecting us as a singular organisation and we're, I don't know, sending staff to work from home and they're handling sensitive data, sensitive information from their living room, in ordinary terms, there, there were very good reasons why we didn't do that kind of thing. I'm not saying that we will have to go back to a completely different way of working, but our appreciation of risk and the cost benefit of the ways we work, I think, will be changed by COVID. But the fact that your customers, your peers, your competitors are all affected at the same time does mean to an extent that, that the lens and the focus isn't on are you delivering the same customer service as normal? Um, that pressure isn't so much there yet because everyone's affected in a fairly uniform way. Uh, great, great point. Um, Dick, did you have anything there that you, you wish to say or has, has Rob covered it? Uh, no, well, no. Uh, uh, yes. Uh, it was just a, a, an observation that, that uh, sprung to mind as Rob was speaking there. It was that, you know, what 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 is our unifying purpose here? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm trying to step back from this conversation and, and you guys are very much involved in the resilient uh, field. Uh, I would say that my involvement would come after that in terms of how do you how do you build back better? Dare I say it? But I'm trying to think of you know what, what, the unifying purpose that's behind this for me is, and again, it's to coin the phrase "never waste a good crisis." How do we support people and organisations to identify the good stuff that's happening right now, and then how do we support people and organisations to lift that good stuff up and shift it into the future so as it's there and they can they can get back to doing things that they want to do in the ways that they want to do them. So, um, yeah, it's been very, it's been very useful to be able to talk about it. Yeah, no, in which case, I think that's probably uh, a good time to, to call stumps or sorry, call stumps, draw stumps, um, call an end to, uh, to this podcast. Um, really grateful to, uh, both our contributors, uh, to Rob and, and to Dick for their time and their, their knowledge. Um, you, they both, both of you, uh, gave your, your company details at the, at the start there, but Rob is the founder of Controlled Events. 
uh, and uh, Dick is the, the founder of Thrive HQ. Uh, if you're interested in following up what they do anymore, please do Google search them. Uh, you'll find their details and uh, they'll be delighted to, to chat through any of their issues with you uh, if appropriate. But if you've enjoyed the podcast, please tell your friends and uh, we look forward to hearing from you. Uh, sorry, being with you next month. Thanks very much.